Good morning, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Monday, November the 20th, 2023. And I don't know about you, but I am so excited about this week. It's it's Thanksgiving week, so much to be grateful for as uh, children of God, as believers. Uh, we've got family coming in. Coming in. Uh, one of my daughters, uh, who's at uh, Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, uh, flew in last night, so she's here already. We've got other relatives coming in uh, as the week progresses, and almost all of our immediate family will be home this week for the holidays. I've got one son uh, he and his wife uh, in Missouri, they're they're not going to be able to make it in. But what a great week. I've just, it's been a busy time at NBW Ministries, and uh, we've been on the road, as you may know. And uh, it's just uh, great to wake up Monday morning and look forward to a great week. We kick the week off today with our uh, good friend Shane, who's going to talk about technology. We're going to uh, continue our discussion of is technology out of control, and he's got his usual list of news items related to technology that uh, some of which are uh, positive developments, uh, some of which uh, we're not quite sure whether they're good or bad, and then, of course, his list of red items that are things we should keep an eye on that indicate uh, things are, in fact, getting out of control. And so can't wait to bring Shane on here in just a moment. But uh, one of the reasons I'm so uh, just invigorated as we start this podcast and just really uh, thankful to the Lord is I woke up this morning and, uh, as always, had a flood of emails, but one of them really encouraged me, and I wanted to read it to you because it really shows why we do what we do here at NBW. So this was an email, and uh, the person uh, said, quote, I was given the book Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy, by a friend, which has been an eye-opener for me, and left me wanting to learn more, especially how to have eternal life. If you have any information, please let me know or direct me to the right uh, references. So that's what why we do what we do, is, is all of our books share the gospel. We know that folks are handing them out or loaning them out to people, encouraging others that may not know the Lord to read about the world as it really exists and what all is going on in the world. And this latest book is no exception. And so I immediately responded with uh, directing him to the epilogue in my latest book, Spirit of the False Prophet, since I knew uh, he or she had it. I'm not sure if this was from a man or a woman. And I said, uh, you know, here, if you'll read the epilogue, it explains how to have eternal life. I went on to explain them in, in, in as briefly a way as possible, the simple gospel message that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, and that he could have eternal life if he would trust in him for it. And then I also offered to uh, send him a, a copy of my book, uh, The Gospel Unplugged, which is a very short, simple overview of the gospel. In fact, the, the subtitle is the, gospel, the Good News, Plain and Simple. So I said, hey, I'd love to send you this free book uh, if you'll send me your address. Well, the person responded immediately, oh, thanks so much. That's very helpful. I'm still trying to understand all of this. I'm new to this and this type of information, uh, presumably uh, spiritual matters of, the, of that nature. And he sent me his address. And I, again, I'm not positive based on the name, whether this is a man or a woman, uh, but uh, I sent them my the, the book it went out in the mail already this morning with all of our other weekend orders that came in and it just thrills my heart to know that uh you know this is just one example of many that we don't hear about where the gospel is going forth the bible says the gospel is the power of god to salvation to everyone who believes it and so uh 
although a big burden and passion of ours and mine and my wife's uh, has has been over the last 17 years to wake believers up, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and encourage them to really see the spiritual aspect of this cosmic battle and recognize it's it's not about Republicans versus Democrats or right versus left or all of this. It's a spiritual battle at its core. Through it all, we also want to in, introduce unbelievers to the gospel and see people who are lost and on the road to hell come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So pray with me for this person and any others who are being introduced to the gospel uh, through our resources here at NBW. And of course, the book that I sent this person this morning also had a gospel track in it. So we're flooding them with the clear and simple uh, gospel message and pray that uh, they would uh, realize that the only way they can have eternal life is by trusting in Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for their sins. And uh, so uh, pray with me about that. But that's that's a great way to start the week. Amen. And, and really excited about what we've got in store for you this week. It's uh, Again, Thanksgiving week, so I've got a special Thanksgiving Day podcast uh, by with a new guest, a dear friend of mine, uh, Paul Van Noy, pastor's up in uh, Idaho, and uh, he's just been a dear friend of mine for years, and we're going to be talking about a grateful heart. Uh, tomorrow, I've got Brad Maston back on. He's a recurring guest from uh, Fort Collins Bible College, and we're going to be talking about can we trust the Bible we hold in our hands. Of course, Wednesday will be our regular uh, World Events Update with Randy, and I uh, can't wait to dive into him, uh, dive into these topics with him. And then we've got, uh, of course, the next day is Thanksgiving. So it's going to be kind of hard after after Randy and I talk. We usually are aware of uh, major developments and kind of uh, positioning and posturing and things that are happening in the geopolitical realm. Uh, but it'll, I think it'll be good to the very next day be thinking, you know what, we are to be grateful in all things and everything give thanks. And so looking forward to that during the midweek. We close out the week on Friday with Mondo Gonzalez, We'll be back on the program uh, and talking about the false prophet. But uh, before I bring on Shane, Proverbs 20, verse 27 is uh, just a great uh, way to, to kind of start the day. You know, I was in Proverbs chapter 20, and this is the verse that I zeroed in on as I'm reading through the proverb for the day. And it just struck me a little bit differently than it has in the past. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of the heart. And of course, at face value, of course, we understand that that's just talking about uh, how uh, the, the Lord can separate in our hearts that which longs for the flesh from that which longs for the Spirit. He knows our deepest thoughts. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.11 talks about how no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so there are things that uh, we might be able to keep hidden uh, from others, but the the Lord knows all, and uh, and so uh, you know the, the the Lord gets us. But it struck me when I read that the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. How transhumanists are trying to search the heart of man and understand it, to hack it, to control it, and ultimately to replicate it. That's what transhumanists want to do, but they won't be able to do that because, as I said, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And uh, so, as we think about the incredible image of God and man and how we are all image bearers, we need to recognize that there's a uniqueness to mankind, that no matter how hard they try, these Luciferian elites, these transhumanists like, uh, you know, Elon Musk and uh, Yuval Noah Harari uh, and the like, they will never be able to create life out of nothing. And that in itself is an amazing blessing, because even knowing 
uh, how deep the heart of man is, yet in a, with a simple cry out to the Lord, we can burst into the throne room of heaven. We can bring our requests boldly before the Lord. Uh, we can find grace and help in time of need. And the almighty creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence uh, is readily accessible to us. And so as we think about technology and all of the fascinating things that mankind is doing, and some of it really defies our wildest imaginations, let's never forget that it pales in comparison uh, to our almighty God. And uh, I hope that encourages you as you think, uh, as you head through the, the week this week uh, for Thanksgiving. So lots going on in the technology world. Shane, thanks so much for making time for us today. Is technology out of control? It, it, yeah, there are certainly those signs of it. We'll, we'll take a look at a few of those things. Um, and, and that's one of the real challenges when we look at technology. You know, like, um, like we said many times before, technology is neutral. It's like a hammer. It's like a, you know, in any other tool we have. Um, it's how are people going to use it? Um, that's always been the, um, uh, you know, the challenge. So um, as usual, we're going to use the red, green, uh, should be a red, Green, yellow, red, excuse me, um, approach here. Stories that I'm trying to put in in the right categories. Um, some, I think, you know, are, are generally good uses of AI. Um, some good things will come of this. Um, others, I'm not sure. We'll need to see which way it goes. And then there are going to be some of those stories at the end of that red category that are deeply concerning right now. Um, the trajectory of whatever that effort, that technology, that story is, is heading appears to be bad uh, for for humans. Um, so so that's the categorization. Like I said, some of these are but before some of these are debatable as to which category I'm putting them in. So um, please feel free to put them in your own categories as you hear it. You bet. So, yeah, and and I you know me, I'm never afraid to push back a little bit. I'm I'm you know I really respect you know your wisdom and knowledge and have for many years you've helped me on so many areas not just technology but I got to admit I, you know I think I know myself pretty well and I definitely lean more pessimistic having seen and researched the depths of evil and just how bad things really are at the tip of the spear what goes on in the dark smoke filled rooms of the luciferians it's hard for me to give the benefit of the doubt about some of these technology things. So to me, the best I can usually hope for is sort of an amber color. Uh, yeah. But I don't know that, that uh, uh, but but I, I do know and appreciate that absolutely there are certain green categories that uh, we we appreciate. And I'm using them right now. I mean, if it yeah. weren't for technology, I wouldn't be able to be t talking to my good friend Shane and, and sharing our conversation with our listeners. Uh, yeah, so there, there are good things. We just need to keep an eye on this, like like any other development. Um, you know, people will come up with ways to pervert anything. Mm -hmm. And so so when we get into these more concerning stories, you know, take uh, it, it's really much less about the technology than it is about biblical anthropology, knowing the heart of man, knowing how people will really tend to use Anything they can use to get an advantage over others and exploit them has just been a staple in human history. And the concerning thing now is we are dealing with a technology that gives people power like we've never had before throughout human history. Um, and, and so the opportunities for that wickedness, that exploitation, are, I, I believe, higher than they've ever been. I, I think yeah. we've never been at a place like this.
Yeah, it reminds me of the quote I have in in, in the new book, uh, uh, "The Rise of the Global Technocracy" from Yuvaldo Harari, where he he's on stage talking about how dictators have always dreamed of having the power to read people's minds and control them, and now they have that power. It's now finally possible to have full spectrum control. So yeah, that's what they want. Absolutely. So so that's why you know the, these categories are are many times debatable and, and they're fluid. Um, you know, there could be something we talk about this week that's, you know, maybe in a green, um, but completely underestimated what people will do with it. And so next year, it could be a very concerning area for us. So, so you know, the goal here, again, is, is awareness um, and to uh, look beyond the hype surrounding AI. Um, and, and the hype comes in, in multiple directions, uh, some overpromising. And then others, I think, are are purposely uh, downplaying some of the risks. So, so what you know, what we want is to give everybody the best information we can give, so that they can make their own choices. Yeah, you bet. All right, so let's uh, let's jump in. What's our first uh, first topic? First one is is not directly about AI, but it uh, it will be impacted by this. And it's just a general category of material sciences. And so there's a revolution in so many different types of, of technologies, supportive technologies, things like batteries and, and even down to electrical circuitry um, that are getting more and more efficient. Um, and so this story is about silver nanowire networks. Um, so it's a, a new technology for creating that circuitry, all those, um, those lines you see when you look at a, a circuit board or or even more importantly, those that are inside of chips that we can't see, a new material that allows for faster, smaller, a more energy efficient um, circuitry to be developed. And one benefit of this will be in the area of AI. Um, while I, you know, this kind of technology would be used and have many, many applications, uh, when you look at AI and the power consumption needs of AI, which are only growing, they're not going down, AI is not um, you know, retreating in any way as far as the demands for data centers and all the things that support a data center like bandwidth and electricity. This is going to make that better if we can have more powerful AI systems that use less power than the current generation. Um, because that lack of, of uh, cheap electricity is going to be an issue for all of us. Yeah, so, it's, inter it's interesting to me how if you look at technology and, and inventions throughout time, where, where they originated, often, uh, you know, a lot of the good things that have really revolutionized our our, our world and our life, uh, such as more efficient energy and the type of stuff that you're talking about, um, come from just a genuine desire to do things better, to, to, to solve problems, to make things better. But of course, I can't help but mention that sometimes they emanate from uh, not so good uh you know, uh, goals or, or motives. Uh, I remember hearing a story uh, one time that about CIA in the old uh, Cold War days of the, you know, spy craft and the, the types of things that they would do. And, you know, these days, everybody's familiar with the tiny little batteries, you know, that uh, EverReady or, you know, Duracell or whoever puts out, we use them in our watches, we use them in key fobs, we use them in all kinds of small devices. Well, it was a fascinating interview with a old uh you know technology uh spy craft person uh how the, that originated with a desire to be able to plant 
bugs in offices of the KGB. Uh, and of course, you know, it's hard enough to sneak in there once surreptitiously and plant a bug in a place where it won't be seen. If you have to go back every week or so and change the battery, then it, it just becomes impossible. So that's what motivated them to come up with tiny little energy cells or batteries. Uh, it, that was the origin of it. And now, of course, they're pervasive and they, they bled over into the public. So I don't know that we ever really know by the time it gets to the public uh, I, so to speak, the public domain, where these ideas emanated. But I know you're very familiar with, you know, with DARPA and some of the Defense Intelligence Agency secret programs, and of course the military, and um, uh, you know Area 51, and all the kind of research that goes on out there. Uh, but uh, we have to take them at face value. And I think that's what you're saying is that some of these things, regardless of their origin or other ulterior motives, they can be a blessing to the general public. Absolutely, you know th this type of technology eventually could give us cell phones where the batteries last twice as long. You know, that, that sort of thing. So there's definitely good things that will come from this. Um, you know, it it's going to be where do other people take these more capable um, AI systems that will emerge from this eventually? What do they do with it? Mm. So so as always, keep an eye on the people. It's, it's much less about the technology and more about the people. Great point. So the uh, second and last green story for this week um, has to do with Elon Musk. And so uh, he is um, pretty famously, uh, you know, a month or two ago, announced a AI company of his called Grok AI. Um, and his goal there was to build an AI that was not limited by political correctness and would not uh, deliver bias, um, or at least as much bias in its answers as say something like, chat gpt does uh being one of those other um search engines google search uh, not search engine uh llm so they did some initial tests with grok ai against other large language models in solving math now what they did is as there's when you train a model there's certain math uh questions problems that you don't want to train the model on and those are called held out questions um and so and the reason why you want to do that is it's it's like when, when you're teaching humans, something you don't want is to teach the test. So if you train an AI model on particular math problems, and then you ask the AI to solve those math problems, of course, it's going to perform very well, right? Because you, you've trained it on the exact question you're going to ask it. So So what they're trying to test here is can a large language model be trained on uh, an overall uh, category of, of, of math problems, um, and yet not see certain math issues, and then be, being able to infer how to solve those new problems based upon their experience with old problems. So this should sound a lot like teaching a person math, because it is. And, and what happened is the very first pass here with Grok AI, as far as that public test goes, did really well. It outperformed everything else except for GPT-4, which is the OpenAI uh, uh, current model. So um, uh, another thing that was interesting is Grok did show the ability to distinguish between biases and news stories. Hmm. So I think there's some interesting uh, implications as to what um, 
what bias really is, the fact that um, that this AI can detect it uh, is really fascinating. So as I said before, there's going to be um, a, a number of, of, uh, of interesting developments in AI. These are products, you know, so think of them as these, these giant systems, these uh, uh, all-encompassing systems out there. These are very much products. And so as we choose AI systems in the future to help us do certain things, we'll need to pay attention to things like bias. That's yeah. going to be a very real issue. So it's in, that's fascinating to me. So let me make sure I'm kind of understanding in, in layman's terms. Obviously, if you take a large language model and you fill it with data that is very narrowly focused on a particular topic, and then you ask it to answer prompts about that topic, you know, that's one thing. But it sounds like what uh, Musk is working on is, you know, taking a broad spectrum of data uh, because we know LLMs are, for the most part, limited to whatever the data set is, right? I know some of them have now kind of built bridges to the internet at large, and that's a whole scary thing. But in general, it's a, it's limited to what you've, quote, trained it on, so to speak. So but what you're saying is you could have a, a huge data set and ask it just completely random questions, uh, almost like in, in the field of systematic theology, which is my background, we understand the interconnectedness of systematic theology. So even if you're studying all that the Bible has to say, for example, about soteriology, you you can still draw some principles about eschatology or, or other aspects. And so uh, it's, it's basically, to me, it's a step forward for AI and being able to kind of, I don't want to say think for itself, but connect dots in an even more complex way. Absolutely. So, so that type of of reasoning is called inference. Okay. So, so based upon other experience, other things you've learned, you can infer truth, infer facts from this other topic, even though you haven't, you know, trained on that one, right? You haven't studied that in your schooling. We're seeing the same thing here with the LLMs. Um, if you know, I, I know many people will look at an LLM and say that. This is just, you know, uh, you know, the, the uh, text predictor, like in your phone, uh, right? That suggests how to spell the word or what word you want to type next. It's just that on steroids. Um, and while, you know, that is a a very similar math that's employed here. Let's be clear: the LLMs are able to reason. Um, these are reasoning machines. Now we don't want to say that because they can reason, it means that they're conscious. As a matter of fact, we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but these machines really do reason. Um, and, and and we're just seeing you know more and more uh, capability from these. Um, something, and, and we'll talk about this in a minute, something that's gonna be interesting to keep an eye on Grok AI is the world lambasted Musk for for paying what he did for Twitter now called X, um, but I don't think they all understood the value of the data. That's right, that's on yeah. Twitter, and um, and so I'm expecting Grok AI to um, it won't be the end all be all best product out there when it comes to a large language model, but because of the access to data it has in Twitter or, you know, X now, I'm still adjusting to the new name, but because of that access to data, it's going to have some capabilities that most other 
large language models might not have. Right. So, so these are these are reasoning machines. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about that the value of data in the book. That in fact, it's a pretty significant point that I make in the section on AI. And I quote again, you've all know a Harari as saying the very same thing that you were just alluding to that, you know, everybody was shocked when people would pay so much money for these uh, social media platforms, but it wasn't about the, you know, that don't generate money directly. In other words, you know, you don't, no one's paying a $10,000 sign up fee to get on Facebook. It's all free. So how do they, how do they make their money? Well, uh, you've all know Harari, points out because he's part of the inner circle that it's not about that. It's about data. Data is power. The more data they have, the more uh, power they get. So, and I want to clarify too, since we're talking about Musk, and I know you know this, but uh, for our listeners, um, Musk is not a good guy. Okay. He is a Luciferian. He's part of the problem. He's part of the elite, but uh, he often says things that resonate with us. He's a bit like Trump in that regard. He's kind of a wild card. He, we, we can maybe resonate with some of the statements that he makes, but let's not let's not be uh, lulled into a, a you know state of complacency where we think somehow he's on our side. He's not. Uh, he's not on our side, and people have to kind of be able to nuance that a little more. I, I, one of my ongoing um, challenges in ministry and uh, in writing and teaching is people are prone when you mention a name to assume that that's an implicit uh, endorsement of that person. And, you know, I, that's not the case. I, I cite people all the time that be, 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 give credit where credit's due because they're right about a particular issue. doesn't mean I agree with everything they say on the issue. We have guests on this program who may come from a slightly different theological background, but because their expertise is relevant to something that I'm wanting to discuss and, and pass on to our audience, uh, we'll have them on. So I just wanted to give that caveat about Musk. Absolutely. Uh, couldn't agree more. Um, but, you know, but we can't have a discussion on these topics without him because he is a very significant uh, person here. And, and just on a side note, um, we we're just talking about social media uh, and I, I just looked it up. It's on Netflix, but there's a really good documentary. If you haven't seen it called the social dilemma, and yes. it is a look at social media. And one of the statements that they make in there, which was chilling to me is just like you were saying, when you sign up for Facebook X, whatever it is, um, and you're not paying anything for it, that means that you're the product. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And yeah. And so if, if you haven't seen that documentary called The Social Dilemma, watch it. it I highly, will... highly recommended. It. It's been out several years. It's not brand new. Yeah. 20. So, but I remember watching it uh, during the pandemic and it was, uh, man, it's profound. So, uh, yeah, yes. The Social Dilemma, it's got some, you know, whistleblowers from Google and places like that. And and uh, and just they're just kind of laying it out there for it for us and in plain sight. Yeah, so th definitely watch that. Just be, you know, just know what you're doing, right? I'm not, I'm not against social media personally, um, but understand what's happening. Okay, it's not what it seems. It's something different. Yeah. Um, all right. So now, with that uh, warm and fuzzy note, we're going to move to the yellow. So uh, first one. This is a story out of Popular Mechanics, which I have mixed feelings about it as a as a source here. But they interview this. Uh, uh, AI expert. His name is uh, Ben Gertzel. I, I believe is how you pronounce that last name. If I pronounce it incorrectly or anybody else I mispronounce, I apologize. And he's discussing the singularity. 
the singularity is this, this theoretical, and I have to say it's theoretical because it hasn't happened yet, and we don't know if it can happen, but this theoretical point of the future in which uh, AI machines, okay, AI systems will break at least um, that human equivalent, okay? Um, I tend to, to look more uh, worried about the one that's uh, super intelligence, um, where, where it crosses that watershed, but where these are no longer machines that are somehow beneath us, but they are at least equal to us, if not superior to us um, in their reasoning capability. So, so, so um, big question is, okay, so let's assume that there is a singularity that's coming. Um, when could that occur? And so Ben is saying that AGI, which is uh, hard to define, but this point where computers will perform equally well as your average human in a, in a wide variety of tasks, as opposed to being an expert in just one area. Um, he thinks that's three to eight years away to where we will have AGI. And, and let me say this, and why this is in a, a yellow category, and we're gonna talk about this um, in the next couple of stories we look at, job losses are coming. Um, I know in, in the uh, in the news and in, in, in articles you read, books you might read, there will be some incredibly bright people, experts, absolute experts in AI, who would say, no, that is not true. It's gonna open up new jobs. There's gonna be new growth. Um, we, we don't know what they are yet because it'll be creative thought that goes behind it, but we're not gonna see job loss. We're gonna see things get better. Um, I just, don't think that's true. I mean, just the sheer economy of, of having people work for you, um, it's expensive. And so if you have an AGI system out there, or even if it costs me $20,000, which is not going to run that much, but if a AI, AGI level employee, if I can use those phrases, those words, um, was 20K a year, of course, I'm, I'm going to fire the humans. Okay. Yeah. This AGI system for 20K a year can run 24 hours a day. It never gets tired, never gets sick. It's going to result in job losses. Yeah. Um, so so that's why I put this in the yellow. If if he's right, and I'm not sure that he is, there's, there's some challenges to, to achieving this. Um, that could be here much sooner than we think. Um, you know, those eight to 10 year predictions we're always comfortable with. I know I am. Because it's so far out, right? <laughs> um, the three-year one, that that one concerns me a bit. So we'll we'll see. Yeah. Um, let me comment on that. You know, I, I, everywhere I go, that's one of the questions I get is about job loss because we've talked about it so much, and we're obviously other technology experts are talking about it as well. It is a very serious issue. I talk about it at length in the book. Um, but I had a student uh, this past week. I was teaching uh, all week long down in Beaumont at a, at a school, and a student. Uh, after I'd spoken uh, at a church service in the evening, also separate from the school, about technology and eschatology and, and, and Bible prophecy, he came up and he said, you know, two or three times, he wasn't satisfied with my answer. He kept coming back. So what job should I pursue with it that's going to be safe from AI? And what, what should I do? And it really created kind of a, a panic. And the fact is, uh, you know, we just we just don't know. I think, as you've said many times, it's going to be pervasive, which means it's going to touch every area of our life. It's not like there's a, a label, this is an AI arena, therefore, you know, steer clear and stick to the non-AI arenas. It's a little more complex than that. Uh, but by the way, let me solve the mystery for you on um, popular mechanics. 
definitely a shill for the Luciferians, definitely bad. But, you know, they do let some truth sneak through every now and then. All of these magazines, it's called Controlled Opposition, the Hegelian Dialectic. So I'm not saying that everything that's in those magazines um, is bad. But ever since they became the mouthpiece uh, for the official 9-11 conspiracy theory, uh, I've recognized where they really stand on all this stuff. Yeah, I almost didn't put them in because of how questionable they become. But, um, but it's information. A, it's it's it's, it's information. It, 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 yeah, the story's not about popular mechanics. The story's about this fella and who's an expert exactly. and his speculation about singularity. And speaking exactly. of singularity, we're going to have Dave, uh, Pat Wood on uh, coming up. I don't have an exact date yet. We've got the interview scheduled. We just haven't decided when we're going to post it. But we're going to talk about uh, AI, transhumanism, uh, technocracy, singularity, all of these things that he is really one of the world experts on. Also have Leo, Leo Holman scheduled. He was supposed to be on uh, this week, but he's gotten sick. And so we've postponed it till after uh, Thanksgiving, but lots of great guests coming up that we'll ask some of these questions too. Yeah, that'll be good to, to, to listen to. Um, so continuing this, this little bit of a depressing role here on the job losses, uh, this is an um, article from Ars Technica. It's a, it's a good online technology website and they're looking at Dolly three. Now, when we first started doing these conversations about AI, um, we were originally looking at Dolly and then Dolly 2, which is from OpenAI, and it is their image generation AI system. So you can give the AI text prompts of what you want it to create for you, and not, not only just what the objects are, but the styles and, 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 and so forth that you want to go into this picture. And in a matter of a minute or two, it'll create that picture for you. So they are looking at the latest version of that, Dolly 3, which I have not looked at because um, that's not really been my focus, that that form of AI. Um, but their assessment of it, and this is their their uh, part of their title here, that it is a wake-up call for visual artists and the rest of us. They are looking at the capabilities um, and the advancements in this area of generating images from text prompts using AI systems and how far it's coming and how sophisticated it is. And, and all the weird things that we used to see in the early generations of these AI-generated images, for instance, hands. You know, you see the what looks like a great picture and you look at the, the person's hands and there's six fingers, you know, that sort of deal. Um, well, those are, those are going away. Mm -hmm. um, and there's less uh, goofiness in some of these images. And I know that's a real technical term there, goofiness, but um, but some of them are. It's, it's really goofy when you look at them. But the latest generations of tools are, are, in just a few years at this point, are so refined that they are even recognizing that if this is your area, um, there's going to be fewer jobs available for you. They're not saying that every job, say, as a graphic designer, is going to be eliminated. But this leverage phase that I've been talking about will eventually lead there. Um, you're going to find that your team of, say you're in a company and you had four graphic artists working for you to handle the, the workload. Well, now they're not doing overtime because the leverage of the tools and then the tools continue to get better. And then you find that you don't really need four people. You need three people. And then at some point, maybe two people. So, so these job losses might not be the giant swinging of the ax where suddenly, you know, you're reading about so many thousand 
graphic artist being laid off today, it's going to be an erosion. And that erosion is actually more concerning because gradual change is much harder for us to deal with and recognize than a big sweeping movement. Yeah, for sure. So, and then related to that, um, Autodesk, which is a software company that create AutoCAD um, and, and some other uh, products, of course, um, that are used in uh, doing technical drawings as CAD CAM systems. So, so these technical drawings that are created um, using the software and be sent off to machining equipment that can take this computerized instruction and then create very precision uh, millings from it, for example. Or maybe it, it guides the construction of underseas oil pipelines, things of that nature. So all kinds of applications for the software. Well, they just had their, their big annual design and make conference, and they announced new AI-powered products. Um, and so it's going to be every, everything from uh, architecture to manufacturing, um, just this full gamut of applications. And so, again, you're going to see this theme of doing more with less. So that leverage phase is here. Um, and in the next you know, few years will be good. Um, it will make everybody's jobs easier. And then at some point, that inevitable job loss erosion will begin. Yeah. And you won't need as many of whatever kind of worker because the machines are able to do some of that work. Yeah, and to be clear, the real negative aspect of that, the red aspect, if you will, when we get there, is really coming from two angles. First of all, it just in and of itself, the job loss, you know, the economics of it and so forth. But let's also not forget that Satan's co-conspirators on Earth, they hate humans, and they, they are intentionally wanting to eliminate humans, the whole depopulation movement, the eugenics movement. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. So you've got this this sense of which when you get there to that level of of course people are, are going to say that don't have a moral compass well if if we can do so much better with technology and it's cheaper and it's faster and it's more reliable then then why why wouldn't we get rid of these humans so there's there's the aspect of as a employee <clears throat> now what do i do and the economics of it and the preparedness and self-sufficiency and all of that but on the other side, it's the the dangers of those people that don't have a moral compass and, in fact, are, are hitched at the uh, wagon to Satan and his goals and his agendas. Uh, when they see weakness in this regard, uh, and, and Yuvaldo Harari has telegraphed it. I mean, he's said it over and over again. I have a whole chapter of his quotes in the book. Uh, they're going to they're going to set their targets on what they consider just human algorithms just useless breeders you know and i think that's what uh, if the lord doesn't come back soon that's what we need to be uh what we need to be prepared for so folks can can read more about this by the way just to put in another plug uh, at spiritofthefalseprophet.org spiritofthefalseprophet.org and remember you know this the goal is twofold we want to wake people up and, and educate and give them access to information i've got 60 pages of bibliographic citations in the book but it also presents the gospel to those who may not know the lord jesus and so make make a great gift for someone that you're trying to uh, find common ground with the way paul did at mars hill say hey here's a topic that i know you're interested in technology and the, the elites and how they're using technology to build a control grid uh, thought you might be interested. So they read it, and then they're exposed to the gospel at the same time. Yeah. 
Amen. All right. Last yellow story. Um, so when we look at, you know, be it chat GPT or any other, uh, or any other uh, AI system, um, it runs on a computer and that computer has to have an operating system. And so there's a, a great technology website called Hacker Noon, and uh, they had a article uh, asking if the world is ready for a new type of operating system. And it examines the reality that the current operating systems that these AI models are running on top of was never optimal for an AI system. And so it's an interesting call for a new type of operating system that is uh, decentralized. So it's not tied to just one data center, not tied to just this particular hardware inst installation, um, but it's decentralized. It is optimized for AI and would have applications in space exploration um, or other technologies that uh, we have in space, for example, satellite systems. So the, so, so the geek in me is fascinated by this. I love operating systems, okay? Um, there's a really cool side to this, but kind of the uh, science fiction author side of my brain says, hang on, we have this decentralized operating system that's even in space um, that controls some of our most advanced technology. What kind of risk is that? What could possibly um, go wrong? Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? It kind of sounds like Skynet in a way. Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, you know, this operating system uh, doesn't exist. This is just a call for um, getting people to work on it, you know, recognizing the need for it. And, and from a technical standpoint, I get it, okay? These operating systems were not designed um, for an AI type of uh, application. So I get what they're saying. Again, it's that biblical anthropology part that concerns me. Mm -hmm. um, how are we going to use this? So again, AI will become more and more advanced. Um, all right, and, and pervasive, right? If it's going into space, um, that's pretty pervasive for us. Mm. All right, so now we're moving into the red section here. And um, this next one, uh, again, goes back to the uh, uh, to the job loss. It was a, a look at the views of Elon Musk uh, versus Jensen Huang. Um, of course, Elon Musk, uh, we know him from Tesla. Uh, we just talked about XAI, his new AI company that uh, has brought Grok AI, his, his AI model. Um, we know about him. Well, uh, Jensen is the head of NVIDIA, which is a technology company, a chip maker. And they've been most famous uh, for their GPUs, which is a graphics processing unit. It's, a, it, it's optimized for certain types of math that are also great for AI systems. So uh, NVIDIA, the company that he heads up, um, if I remember correctly, is now worth a trillion dollars. Um, and that's due to the explosion in AI and how they've got right now supposedly the best hardware to run it on. So, um, so Musk says that AI will eventually make jobs obsolete. He's not pulling any punch punches. Um, while when we look at Jensen, uh, he says no. Um, you know there will be jobs that go away, but it's going to going to be new jobs, creative jobs, better jobs. So he's part of that move of, yeah, we're going to get rid of the bad jobs and just get good jobs. And uh, Musk is saying there won't be any jobs. Um, as a matter of fact, to quote Musk, he said, 
there will come a point when no job is needed. He went on to say, you can have a job if you want a job. One of the challenges of the future will be how do we find meaning in life? And he went on to call AI the most disruptive force in history. And he said that eventually we'll have something that's smarter than the smartest humans. So he's talking about that singularity, right? That place at which the machines will overlap us. Um, and um, so he, he's he got a very direct, uh, I wouldn't call, I don't think his view is negative, but he's very honest about what's going to happen with work. Now, the challenge in what Musk holds to um, is with this job loss that he sees occurring, that somehow it's not going to be uh, hard on people from an economic standpoint, you know, that that we'll, we're just going to come up with a universal basic income or some sort of similar solution to take care of all these people who can't find jobs because there aren't any available. Now, I don't believe that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, when you look at Harari's statements, he has a very different, you know, he, he's tracking with Musk up to that point, but that end piece, they have very different ideas in mind. Hmm. So, so again, the job loss is a real, real issue. Hmm. Now, right. next story. Um, this is one, and and earlier I'd mentioned that I, I'm I'm not entirely sure about it being able to achieve AGI or, um, or or especially super intelligence. And and to to achieve intelligence here, you really have two basic building blocks. One is compute power, so that ability to crunch numbers, use computers um, and all the supporting technologies to crunch data faster, more efficiently. Um, so we're certainly seeing some good improvements in that area. Matter of fact, led off the story today about this improvement in material sciences that will make its way into the hardware that these AI systems run on. So, so I think we're doing pretty well in that area, but the second piece that we need is data. Um, researchers for, uh, I don't know, a couple of years maybe, um, have been saying, hang on, we are running out of good data to train AI models on. Um, as a matter of fact, um, this, this one set of researchers, I think this is out of uh, Australian University, said that by 2026, we could run out of high quality human generated data. Um, so the reason I, I want to point this out, because you might think that, well, that's a good sign. Right, we've got a cap in how far these systems can go, and maybe we won't see the job losses. But here's where my concern is: to to solve this problem, uh, there's a approach you can take called synthetic data, which is where you take an AI system and have it generate very targeted data by which to train other AI systems. And since the purpose of this AI system is to emulate human intelligence, right? It's it's artificial intelligence, but it's based upon how we reason, um, how we think, how we communicate. Um, will you get the same kind of results when you have an AI creating what it believes good quality data is to train other AI systems? Um, my concern here is that, um, you know, we, we could actually end up uh, having an AI system create 
uh, data to train other AIs that is something we can't really understand and lose control of. Um, there have been a few cases in the labs in the past, and I'm sure you've heard these stories where um, like there's a famous story that went out, and, and I, I believe it's true. I, I don't know 100% sure, but uh, that, that Facebook, now called Meta, had a couple of AI uh, systems that were talking to one another, and these AI systems developed their own language that the researchers couldn't understand and were communicating to each other using that language. Hmm. And so the only thing they could do was turn off the systems. Um, they had, uh, in effect, lost control of them. Now they said, and there's, you know, there's some truth to this. The reason they killed the project was it didn't achieve the goals of the project and was no longer interesting to them, so they turned it off. And at some level, that's true. They were doing this because there was a business goal, something they were trying to achieve. Um, but you got to admit, um, having an AI system or systems develop their own language that we can't understand, that should be concerning. So, so this is where I'm. I'm long way of saying this is the concern I have with us running out of data. There's so much money being poured into AI. They're not going to accept that, well, we're just out of data. This is about as far as we can go. Um, what impact does synthetic data have in the training of future AI models? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I talk about that in uh, chapter six of, uh, of the new book, uh, Rise, uh, uh, Spirit of the False Prophet, the chapter on AI. Um, and it goes, goes to Dr. Alan Thompson's, uh, concerns he calls it a snake eating its own head when you when you have ai creating the data from which it trains uh ai and uh, you and i have talked i think on a previous show and i i think i addressed this issue in the book as well about examples of what that looks like in the uh digital uh ai you know systems the dolly type systems where they're using graphics you know if you take a AI generated graphic, and then you tell it to create another graphic from that AI generated graphic. By the time you've done that five times, it comes up with a completely distorted, really evil, frankly, looking picture. And the same thing is true with large language models. When a when you you know uh, when you when you train AI based on data that was AI generated, it's it truly is like a uh, snake uh, eating its own head. And and I don't think anybody really knows where it goes. And that story whether it's urban myth or not, uh, is certainly a potential reality of, you know, AIs ending up kind of going rogue and we have no control over them. Um, you know, you've mentioned Musk. Uh, one of the comments that I have uh, from Musk in the book is he he famously said, I actually have this on video uh, at when he was speaking, uh, quote, if one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, they're well aware of where this AI data harvesting uh, is heading for sure. Absolutely. So it, it's um, when, it, when it comes to the job losses, you know, will there be new jobs that are created? Yes. But I think we're looking at for every um, 20 jobs that get created, new jobs that get created uh, revolving around AI, we're going to lose 100. Mm. So so there's going to be a net loss. And um, and the challenge is, is there's not going to be an easy way to retrain most people for this new world that's coming where really very, very labor from humans is needed. Mm. Um, that's going to be a tough one. 
So along these lines, um, this is an expansion of something I believe we talked about on the last podcast, where there was a test done to compare human creative thinking to that of, of various large language model systems out there, um, including ChatGPT3, ChatGPT4, and another one called Copy AI. So they used a, a psychological test called an alternate use task. And it assesses the creativity of AI systems and human participants. Um, and when you're looking at AI, there's a there's a lot of of um, psychology and 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 uh, uh, sciences that have been focused on humans that are being applied towards AI since these AI systems try to emulate the human brain. So a lot of those theories, like uh, pertaining to consciousness and other capabilities that we have applied towards humans are being applied towards AI systems. And so in this alternative use task, um, they they took a, a look at, um, let me try to look here, that you had to come up with creative ways to use objects. So the uh, objects that the researchers presented, both the human participants and the AI systems with, were a rope, a box, a pencil, and a candle. And so, they had to come up with original and creative uses for these objects. So it's one of these where there's really not a wrong answer. They they want to see how the, the thinking works and how creative it is. And so what was really interesting was the AI systems on average outperformed humans. Now the humans came up with individually more creative uh, uses for these objects. Um, but what we saw was there were fewer people doing this but you know there were some that were were quite better than the AI systems in the level of creativity. But overall, the AI systems outperform people, hmm. and so this is that piece in the job loss um, where, and I don't know how long ago this was, but um, where I said that you know even if AGI and, and because of the data issues, uh, the compute issues, I'm, I'm not as concerned about, but the data issues, I'm still concerned about. Can we really get to AGI? But does it have to be at the level of AGI in order to be disruptive? And I don't think that it does. If I've got, again, a system that can perform at, say, 90% of the efficiency of a human, but cost me 80% less, I'm going to go there, right? Business efficiency just demands that. So um, doesn't mean that all humans will be gone. Um, that that last ten percent gap or so is very important, but you don't need the same staffing levels. And so I think this this study that was done doesn't seem like a big deal. Looking at how you can use a rope, a box, a pencil, and a candle, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But it should show us the reasoning capabilities of these machines, and that we are near AGI right now. And at that point, I think it's a it's a danger to jobs. Yeah, I mean, and the reality is it also shows us why it's so appealing from a purely human standpoint, let alone the spiritual battle and the satanic aspect of it. Just it's it's it can produce better products, right? And so I know in the publishing world, a lot of uh, my uh, colleagues that are authors are, are using AI to generate cover art because it's cheaper than hiring a graphic artist. Uh, and And frankly, it comes up with some pretty amazing things. And at the end of the day, you know, the reader's not going to know, and they're assuming not going to care. But, you know, there is a sense in which all of us, as we go through this paradigm shift with, with AI, are 
you know, we can't we can't put our finger on it exactly, but we're a little bit uncomfortable with AI generated product, right? It reminds me of the paradigm shift when we went from uh, regular uh, uh, photography film to digital photography, right? Uh, I can remember one of the earliest of digital cameras we had. It was a, a Sony Mavica. It literally had a three-inch floppy that you would stick in it. And, and we were on a cruise celebrating, I think it was our 10th anniversary at the time, my wife and I. And uh, and we were taking pictures and, and all these uh, you know, older people, they seemed really old at the time. They don't seem so old now from my perspective, looking back, but at the time they seemed really old, which is not surprising for a cruise. But anyway, they were just mouths agape. What is that device you're holding and these pictures and, you know, it didn't have film. And of course, now here we are, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, and it's, you know, it's commonplace. I mean, people have completely made the paradigm shift. And I think there's a sense in which especially those of us in the prophecy world, we have a tendency to assign moral value to AI and assume that if if somehow AI generated it, it's inherently wrong. But what you've always been really good about pointing out is that AI can be used for positive things. Now, if you're using AI to write your book and you're passing it off as your own and there's deception there, of course, that, that crosses a line. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the first to admit, I mean, we, we do all of our own cover art. I I may get to the point where we use AI for graphics. Uh, I happen to have someone on our staff, my daughter, who's a phenomenal a graphics person, and, and several of my kids are. Um, but you know, I get advertisements all the time by email, unsolicited, saying, "Hey, you can use AI to to generate, you know, graphics or generate blog posts and generate this." And I can see why some uh, businesses might go that route. It's just it's cheaper and it's better. So what will end up happening in this leverage phase is, um, you know, uh, not every piece of, of graphic art that you produce is of the same importance. So so there's going to be some things that, you know, Brooke might go out to Dolly or one of the competitors and, and use to create certain graphics. And then others, she's going to do the way she was trained, right? She's going to do that by hand. So, so I think that's what's going to be normal for the next few years is both, right? There'll be some things that you produce. If you, if you have that capability on staff, you do. Um, if you have somebody who can do that, some of the pieces, they're going to produce themselves. And then other pieces that are more disposable in nature, um, why not go out to Dolly and have it generated? Yeah, I mean, so, in a sense, isn't it kind of the same uh, issue that we have now, not unrelated to AI, where... When you need a graphic, do you, do you just go to some service and download a stock photo image, or do you sure. get in your car and go out and take a picture of two people walking through a field? You know, is it somehow wrong that you chose a stock image that you have the legal rights to because you pay for a service, or do you have to? Does everything have to be original to you? And I think that's that's a pretty clear analogy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so these these changes are coming. Okay, these changes to our our, our workforce are, are here. Um, I, I got to start watching my language here because I have been talking in terms of this is coming. We're at its doorstep, but but we've stepped past the threshold. Um, we are we are we've stepped into the room, this new phase, and um, be aware of it. Okay, it's happening around us right now, um, and at first it's going to be harder to recognize because it's going to be gradual. It's going to be an erosion and not the earthquake. Okay. Yeah. 
as far mm-hmm. as how quickly this happens. Um, final one I want to talk about, and this was uh, uh, actually uh, Randy sent this uh, this morning um, over the weekend. It was announced pretty pretty famously that Sam Altman, who uh, helped co-found OpenAI, which is again that company behind ChatGPT, Dolly, and and some other technologies, um, was kicked out by the board. Um, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. Um, read a number of different articles over the weekend. Um, some claiming it was due to financial issues. Um, others said it was fights over uh, r- how to approach AGI. Hmm. Um, you know that there were people at uh, OpenAI who were concerned about the safety of it. Hmm. That there was an existential threat that they felt Sam uh, uh, Sam Altman wasn't recognizing. Um, I have no idea what the truth is, but but Randy sent an email this morning saying that Microsoft um, had hired. Ran, uh, excuse me, uh, hired Sam Altman uh, today. And Microsoft has invested upwards of $10 billion in open AI. So now they have somebody working for them that um, knows everything about open AI. And uh, I would expect to see open AI's products becoming even more entrenched in everything Microsoft offers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have said that uh, OpenAI has always been a, a proxy of, of of Microsoft, and of course, all of the big tech companies are proxies of the Luciferian elites. They, they, uh, the the narrative and the screenplay that we all watch unfold on TV and the news and magazines and stuff is is pretty fascinating and it's interesting and it has some plot lines and things. But let's not forget that ultimately there is a uh, you know, a, a big picture conspiracy that the, both the Bible and, uh, you know, their own uh, disclosures uh, tell us about. Absolutely. So, so pertaining to, um, the, you know, the rumors about OpenAI being that, you know, extension of Microsoft, in essence, um, them hiring Sam Altman will do nothing to squash those rumors. So, so keep an eye on this. It's going to be interesting. Um, and, and what, the, the main reason I brought it up is um, if it was some sort of general disagreement over the direction of the company, that might not be that concerning, depending on what the issue was. But if it's an issue over um, they are worried, they being employees of OpenAI are worried about losing control of the technology, that is super concerning. So mm-hmm. we just need to pay attention. You know, inevitably information will leak out. Um, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, along with that, a lot of disinformation will leak out. So it's going to be a challenge to sort through this, but this is an important story. We need to figure out what was really happening here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that's awesome. Any closing closing thoughts? Lots to to kind of digest here. Pray for wisdom every night. I, I literally do this. I ask for wisdom. This world has got so much wickedness. Uh, so much confusion right now, so many major stories competing for our attention. Um, you know, apart from the Lord, I have no idea which way to go. Mm-hmm. So uh, so seek him, seek the Lord, and uh, and ask for wisdom as you assess all these things that are popping up concerning AI and other technologies. AI isn't the only thing we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. 
Absolutely. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And we certainly need discernment. One of the primary uh, foundational verses for my, my the third book in that, in that triad, the one we've been talking about uh, a few times on today's program, Spirit of the False Prophet, the, kind of the foundational proof text is 1 John 4, 1, brethren, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And so you're right, Shane, as we've said many times uh, in our frequent conversations, it, it's it's going to become more and more important that you are able to discern between truth and uh, between reality and fiction. Uh, and, and that's the goal. Satan is the great imitator. He, he wants to to promote what is not real, but what, uh, you know, he pretends to be real. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Shane. And let me close out with just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, Shane, I wanted to invite you sometime, if you're willing, uh, notice how I'm putting you on the spot here on the air. Uh, we do a premiere a video Zoom for our premiere members, which that is really growing. Uh, and um, we do this about every two weeks. We have a premiere member only Zoom session where they can ask questions. And we'd like to have you on as a guest uh, uh, of ours at one of those to just field questions, maybe from some of our premiere members. Can we uh, schedule you for that sometime? Absolutely. I'd love to. I would too. Yes. Uh, Randy's been on with us just uh, kind of lurking in the background. And when I see him join the meeting, I'll bring him on to you know answer questions. And last time we had Pat Wood really blessed my uh, heart. I did not know he was going to join us, but I had given him uh, access and he jumped in. And so, boy, you know, when we have some of our guests that I respect so greatly on, I, I loved the opportunity to let uh, some of our folks ask questions. So uh, speaking yeah, of that, if you're if you're interested in uh, becoming a premier member, just go to notbyworks.org, click on the store button, and uh, we have lots of free uh, resources there. We're posting more free resources all the time. So while you're on the store, be sure and download any of our free resources, uh, but to also consider uh, joining up for our premier membership. It's a small monthly fee and, or you can pay annually, you can cancel at any time, and it gives you access to premier member only uh, resources, for example, we just paste, posted 20 uh, hours uh, of video teaching from the uh, teaching that I did last week in uh, Beaumont. So all of my soteriology uh, videos and lectures from last week, hot off the press, that we're not making available to the general public necessarily, but uh, they're available. And we have a lot of other videos and uh, resources like that. Uh, so it's just something a little extra. We still have all of our podcasts are free, over 750 podcasts, uh, and we do uh, just about one every day like this one. Uh, we have all of our videos, all of our stuff from Plum Creek Chapel. All of that's free, available to anybody, but we have a little extra something for those of you that want to uh, kind of be a part of uh, the premier membership. So check that out. Uh, speaking of Plum Creek Chapel, if you have not yet watched my message from yesterday on Israel and the olive tree. You need to check that out. You can listen to the audio-only podcast right here on this podcast channel, uh, and our podcasts are available wherever you listen to podcasts. It doesn't matter, Spotify, uh, Google, Apple, uh, Pandora, Amazon, you name it. If you just search for Not By Works Ministries, you can subscribe to our channel, and then we will you'll be notified every day when the new podcast drops. Uh, but whether you listen to the audio from yesterday or watch the video at our Rumble channel, Israel and the olive tree. I, I uh, took about 50 minutes to walk through Romans 9 through 11 and, and explain why that's one of the most misunderstood passages in Scripture and why Israel is so important 
in God's uh, plan of the ages. So check that out as well. If you're ever in the Denver metro area, we'd love to have you join us live for uh, one of our two services at Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia at 8.30 or 10 o'clock. We live stream my message at the 10 o'clock service. So if you're not in the area or if you can't make it out on a given Sunday, go to notbyworks.org, click on the live stream button, and you can join us alive. Don't forget spiritofthefalseprofit.org is the best place to learn more about uh, the new book. And uh, let's see if I had any other quick uh, announcements here. I think that just about covers it. As I mentioned, great week ahead. I hope you'll stay in touch. Don't forget special podcast that's coming on Thursday. I know everybody's going to be busy with family, but it's a short one, about 30 minutes with my good friend, Paul Van Noy, and we're going to be talking about a grateful heart. So maybe it'll, and it'll post first thing Thursday morning, probably six o'clock mountain time. So it should be available to everybody when you wake up and maybe a good way to just kind of uh, get your heart set in the right direction as you start today on Thanksgiving Day. Well, God bless you, everyone. If we can help with anything, uh, please feel free to reach out. Don't forget to pray for our uh, listener that or, or person that emailed uh, asking about how to be saved. And uh, I've just thrilled my heart to wake up to that email this morning. Pray that the gospel will take root in their life as they believe the gospel. If you'd like to help spread the good news about salvation through Christ, you can pick up some of our tracks. We have uh, a good news gospel track that we uh, uh, give out frequently. We sell them in bundles of 100. Encourage you to pick some of those up and uh, pass them around. You know, we're going to be interacting with a lot of people this week during Thanksgiving week that maybe you don't get to see very often, friends, distant relatives, uh, uh, that type of thing. This is a great opportunity uh, to shed the gospel. And I know uh, Shane, just to give you a glimpse into his heart, he's passionate about the gospel as well. And he mentioned that They've got some plans to potentially uh, reach out with the gospel to some folks in their community on Thanksgiving Day. So encourage everybody uh, to spread the gospel. God bless everyone. Have a great week, and uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow.